Hello and welcome to Saga 50 for 50 on Heritage Bites, produced by Heritage Mississauga. 2024 marks the 50th anniversary since the incorporation of the town of Mississauga, Port Credit and Streetsville to create the city we now know and love. In this special celebration of Mississauga, we invite you to join us as we walk down memory lane with 50 weeks of podcasts recounting incredible moments in this city's rich history. This is Saga 50 for 50. Welcome to another episode of Saga 50 for 50. My name is Justine Lin, the Collections and Resource Lead here with Heritage Mississauga. Last week, I mentioned that February 14th is, aside from Valentine's Day, of course, an important day for all Mississaugans and Ontarians. In 2016, February 14th was renamed Hazel McCallion Day across the province after our former mayor, Hazel McCallion, whose birthday was celebrated each year on February 14th. Hazel McCallion, née Journeau, was a businesswoman, athlete, and politician. She was Reeve of Streetsville from 1969 to 1974, then mayor of Mississauga from 1978 to 2014. One of Canada's longest-serving mayors, McCallion led the city for 12 consecutive terms, retiring at age 93. Nicknamed Hurricane Hazel for her no-nonsense political style, She oversaw the development of Mississauga from a semi-rural bedroom community of Toronto into the sixth largest city in Canada. She rose to fame in the city after successfully leading the young city through the events of the Mississauga train derailment and subsequent evacuation of over 200,000 residents in 1979, without a single loss of life, mind you. McCallion is considered a trailblazer for women in politics, a role model, an inspiration for many others. After her departure from politics, McCallion was appointed Chancellor of Sheridan College and Special Advisor to the Principal of the University of Toronto, Mississauga. McCallion also worked closely with the Ontario Women's Hockey Association and was an outspoken advocate for seniors and youth. Hazel McCallion passed away on January 29, 2023 from pancreatic cancer. A state funeral was held on February 14th, 2023, the day that would have been her 102nd birthday. I remember her funeral well. It was an emotional day saying goodbye to someone who had given her all to our city in so many ways. Just over a year from that day, I find myself thinking of her more and more, which is why today I wanted to give her a chance to speak to us all. On November 18th, 2003, then Mayor Hazel McCallion gave a milestone lecture at the Mary Fix Memorial Lecture at the Mississauga Central Library. The event was fitting as Mary Fix, the first woman to hold public office in the Toronto Township, now Mississauga, was a role model for Hazel, just as Hazel is a role model for all women in Mississauga. The theme of the highly anticipated lecture was the celebration of civic heritage and spirit, during which Hazel McCallion provided a self-assessment of her 25 years as mayor, as of November 2003, and reflected on her many years of service during public office. Heritage Mississauga is honored to be able to share this lecture with you today, digitally restored. Now, I invite you to go back in time to 2003 and welcome Mayor Hazel McCallion. speaker at this first annual Mary Fix Memorial Lecture. Tonight's event is very special to me because it honors someone, someone that I admire from both a personal and professional standpoint. Mary Fix was a distinguished civic leader in our community. She was also a pioneer, role model for women in politics. Now there's another person that I consider a very role model, and that is Charlotte Whitman, the mayor of Ottawa, that I knew, knew very well, when I was president of the 
Anglican Young People's Association of Canada, had the pleasure to meet her because she was one of the women that entered a field that no other woman would try to enter, the Synod of the Anglican Church of Canada. That's for men only. <laughs> she broke the barrier and became a member of the Synod. Mary Fix entered politics as Deputy Reeve of Trauma Township in 1954 and 1955 became Reeve. She was re-elected a few times and in 1961 became Peel's County's first female warning. You know, to attain that, ladies and gentlemen, you got to go, I gotta tell you, especially for a woman. <laughs> You could say she helped open the doors of political office for many women, including myself. Looking at Mississauga's political landscape now, I'm sure Mary would be proud to see so many prominent women in politics today, represented at various levels of government. And by the way, ladies and gentlemen, there are more women in local politics than there are in provincial legislatures and House of Commons. Long overdue, <laughs> because I really believe that provincial politics and federal politics would be better off today if more women were there. political life, Paris was always a staunch advocate, advocate for heritage and historical preservation. In fact, she was a founding member of the Trauma Township Historical Society, which later became the Mississauga Heritage Foundation. <laughs> and so here we are tonight. Tonight's event is organized by the Mississauga Heritage Foundation, an organization that I believe in and actively support. You know that. And they have asked me to be the inaugural speaker for this memorial lecture named in honor of an individual that I've always admired. Last week we held our municipal elections, and I feel honored that you have once again asked me to be your mayor of our wonderful city. <laughs> I feel extremely grateful and fortunate to be able to do what I've been chosen to do. As you all know, Mississauga is the distinct major Canadian city. In fact, we are Canada's sixth largest city. We have the amenities of big cities such as world-class shopping, dining, live theater, professional sports, music concerts, and major special events. However, despite all of our big city features, we have not lost that community spirit that makes Mississauga a wonderful place to call home. We still have those communities, Airmill, Lauren Park, Streetsville, Fort Trinidad, Night Coastal. Isn't it wonderful? We are a city of communities. And that is so important, by the way, because each and every person who is a member of those respective communities are so proud. In fact, when you ask them where they live in Mississauga, they live in a community. When they go abroad, of course, they say, I live in Mississauga. However, despite all of our big city features, we have not lost that community spirit that makes Mississauga a wonderful place to call home. The city is now home to 680,000 people. And no matter how you look at it, this is a tremendous number of people. When I think that I took over as mayor in 1978, I believe our population was 290,000. In fact, in 79, I evacuated 230. <laughs> <laughs> I can't help but marvel at how far we've come as both a city and a community. Think of the people that we brought into this community. No other community has grown to the size that we've grown. In 1904, Mississauga will be celebrating our 30th anniversary as a city, just a young city, only 30 years old. I think the mayor is 82. <laughs> now 30 years may seem like a long time, but I can assure you it goes fast, extremely fast, I can assure you. 
In fact, my career in politics precedes the sitting of Sodom by several years. But let me go back even further than that because the story of myself as a political person. Contrary to popular belief, my story doesn't even begin in Mississauga. As you know, I was born in Fort Daniel on the Gaspe Coast, a village located in the Bay of Shore and part of the Gaspe Peninsula. And I'm appalled how many Canadians don't know where the Gaspe Coast is. That's where Reddy Lamette was born. <laughs> Three miles from my hometown. I don't want to take any claim for him. Fort <laughs> Angle was a very small town. I was the daughter of a family of five. Uh, my dad was a fish processor. And I can assure you that I was a depression kid. I was poor. I wore second-hand clothes, but I can assure you I never went to bed hungry at night because we lived on a farm and we produced all our products. But I'll tell you, we were poor. But that's fine. That's a great beginning for anybody to be poor because you appreciate what you're able to attain in life. And so I never had to look back and say I'm sorry for the uh, conditions under which I live. I had a loving family. I was the youngest of five, spoiled, great, while I had older sisters and brothers. But here I am as the mayor of the society. No one not spoiled. <laughs> well, the, this, the Gaspi Coast is a beautiful area of Canada. Natural beauty, no question about it. But no opportunity for any young person to stay there for a future, unless you either want to fish. By the way, I love fishing, but not that type of fishing, and or farming. Otherwise, you had to leave. So, therefore, life on the Gaspi coast was not something you would stay. The winters in Gaspi was very severe. I remember one time I climbed out the bedroom windows to go to school. Think about it. Have you ever climbed out the bedroom window in a two-story house to go to school? No, yes, I did. What an experience. So the, the experience on the Gaspi Coast was a great training for me, I can assure you. It meant that uh, you could overcome anything. You know, when I talked about people that say, my daughter's son has to walk a few distances. <laughs> I walk two miles every day to go to school. Back at lunchtime, because there's no lunch to school. And again, and in the winter, when the storms were really great, and I'll tell you, you folks don't know what winter is all about. <laughs> I remember the time when my dad harnessed up the horses in the sleigh, put us in, covered us over with big buffaloes to drive us through. Folks, what an experience. You know what? I wouldn't, I wouldn't regret it in the world because it's taught me something that I'm sure many young people today will never experience. They don't know what it is to be under living under those conditions. But you know what? It was a wonderful experience. Okay. So anyway, at grade nine, I left the Gaspi Coast and went to school with my sister, who was a school teacher in St. John's, Quebec. And then for my last year of high school education, I went to Quebec City. Now I want you to know that in Quebec. You only take 11 years to accomplish what it takes 12 years in the province of Ontario. <laughs> we had a uh, Protestant education system in the province of Quebec. It was second to none in Canada. So I always tease my husband that it took 11 to 12 years to accomplish what we did in Quebec in the last However, so when I first ventured into the corporate world, I graduated from high school. Never had the opportunity to go to university. I got to tell because my dad couldn't afford it. So I took my business course in Montreal at Notre Dame Secretarial School. Graduated from it and then started to work in Montreal. And worked for a company that was given the award to build the first synthetic rubber plant in the world in Sarnia, Ontario. And so I was asked to come to Toronto to set up the office. 
get them to do the necessary work to build the world's first synthetic rubber band. Well, I gotta tell you, when I entered the private sector, it's the old boys' world, no question about it. I remember my boss said to me, Hazel, you should join the Office Manager Association of Toronto because you are the office manager of my company. No women allowed. <laughs> I hired many members of our company because we had a nucleus of about 20 people. And to build the world's first synthetic rubber plant, it needed 100 people. So I had to hire a lot of people. So my boss said to me, a Texan, by the way, engineer, as well as a chartered accountant, said, not uh, there, uh, Hazel, I think you should join the Personnel Association of Toronto to get to know the uh, the opportunities that you can hire personally. No women allowed. <laughs> so we joined the women's, we formed the Women's Personnel Association of Toronto. So you see, entering the private sector is no different than entering the public sector for women. Mary Fix entered it, but I'll tell you, few women were allowed to enter the Senate. I remember when I first ran for the Deputy Reba Streetsville, I was defeated. Can you imagine a wild woman trying to get into the man's world? <laughs> a, a town council all made up of men, and here was a woman that wanted to enter the field. I was defeated. I stayed with her. And the next year, I won as Deputy Reed of Streetsville. You see, uh, quite honestly, uh, the role of women, and Mary Fix was the person who really started, as well as Mayor Sharp and Charlotte Whitten and all of them, to prove that really a woman can do the job. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a philosophy that unfortunately is starting to prove to be right. And that women can do any job a man can do. Any job. And I don't care what it is. In fact, we can do something a man can't do. And you know what I mean. <laughs> you know, for a woman to be successful in either the private sector or the public sector, you got to realize that you've got to be strong. You can't be that weepy type of woman. You've got to tell you. If you are, don't enter politics. Because you'll be sharing, shedding a lot of tears with the problems, as well as the private sector. And so uh, I can only say to you. Now, when I was mayor of Streetsville, you know, there's a wrong philosophy about the future of Streetsville. For some unknown reason, the politicians and others believed that we wanted to remain the streets, though, the little enclave that we were. No way. We spent, and I can even tell you, $35,000. My gosh, today we spent $35 million. $35,000 to their consultant to say how Streetsville could expand its boundaries because we knew we could not exist the size that Streetsville was as a viable entity. We were lacking industrial, commercial development, and second. And so we spent the $35,000, which is a lot of money for the town of Streetsville, to see, hiring a consultant to see how could we expand the boundaries of Streetsville to make us a viable community. And so we had a boundary study, and it recommended that we expand, in fact, it would have divided Mississauga up into two municipalities. Whether you like it or not, that's what the consultants recommended. But anyway, I remember the night that Bill Davis came to the town, he got out with it with his wife. He got out a lot. And then you remember that. He always teases me anytime he speaks and says, Well, you know, if we had let, you wouldn't be mayor of Mississauga if we had. Uh, retained Streetsville, yes, but I would have been mayor of Streetsville. <laughs> so, you see, I'm very grateful to Kellogg, the company I worked for. They gave me the opportunity as a woman 
to manage a large corporation, the Canadian subsidiary of a large American company. And uh, it was a great privilege. Gave me confidence in myself. I remember my boss, who was a Texan, my first boss. In fact, my 95-year-old boss called me yesterday, my last boss with Kellogg. He's in a nursing home in Nathan. He phoned me to congratulate me on my re-election as mayor of the society. I remember he told me something I learned very quickly. When you come into my office to require approval, make sure you do your homework before you come in. Try to predict the questions I'm going to ask you so that you have the answer. And that's been a guiding light to me as mayor of the city. And that is, you better do your homework before you go and ask for something for your present program. And that's been a very wonderful experience for me. And I've never, never forgotten. Well, Sam and I settled in Streetsville in 1951. We got married. And we settled in the town of Streetsville, we bought five acres, which was a residential unit, by the way, residential size in Streetsville. And uh, we got involved in Streetsville in many ways, in the church, in Trinity Anglican Church, as well as in the Chamber of Commerce in Settler. And so as a result, we contributed to our community in a major way. So, you know, if you get involved in your community, I can assure you it's so satisfying. I'm going to tell you all. It is satisfactory, satisfaction second to none. To see what you can do to develop the community in which you live. And so we played a part, a major part, in, in the town of Streetsville. I was chairman of the Streetsville Planning Board. And one of the things that bothered us was the council was not listening to good planning. And that's why I was encouraged with others to run for council, because that's where the decisions are made in council. They wanted to put a high-rise development all over the place. And if you drive down Queen Street, you'll see some of the bad decisions made by the previous council in the town of Streetsville. Two high-rises right on the main street. I wish we could tear them down and sort of level them up with the rest of that beautiful center of streets. So, it's been a, a wonderful experience. Had I known, uh, I, I really didn't know what was in store for me, but after the province decided that we should have a city, and they formed the Region Appeal, of which the town of Port Pettit, the town of Streetsville, and the town of Mississauga was incorporated into the city of Mississauga. Then I, I take decisions like that. It's a decision that's been made. Let's make the best of it. Let's not sit there and oppose it anymore, even though we oppose becoming a part of the city of Mississauga. Let's get on with the job. Let's see what we can do to make it a great place for people to live and to work and to bring up their family. And so that is why, in my opinion, the city has been a success. You know, it was not, it was not easy to bring together three municipalities, but I don't think of amalgamation in the province of Ontario that has gone as smoothly as the city of Mississauga. And I think if you look to the east, I think you'll get the message. <laughs> you know, we work together. There's no question about it. And the region appeal has been a success today. But I want to tell you, as residents of saw, we want to be separated from the region appeal. We want to be the city of the sixth largest city in Canada, folks. Sixth largest city. Now, when the, when the mayor of Brampton and I go to the big city mayor's office, because all municipalities, over 200,000 are members, the mayors are members of the big city mayor's office. We are the only two mayors across Canada that has a second level of government to which we are participating in. 
All other mayors are responsible for all the services that they provide to the citizens of their respective cities. And the time has come that Mississauga must be responsible for all the services that we should be providing to our people. One-stop shopping in the city of Mississauga. You come to City Hall and you get the answers. You don't have to come to City Hall and then run to the region to get the answers on water, sewer, and waste management. We can do it. We're able to do it. We're considered the best managed city in Canada. We are debt-free. Think about it. What other city of our size is debt-free in this great country of Canada? None. We're the only one. And we are the most crime-free city in Canada. city in Canada four years in a row. Think about it. Aren't you aren't because it's gotta be the team approach. It's not just the police. It's the community. It's all our wonderful organizations that make us that great crime free city. Now how did we become debt free? When I ran as mayor, I said, development must pay its way. And therefore, as a result, the developers that want to come and work in Mississauga must pay their way. They must provide us with the necessary capital funding to build the infrastructure to look after the growth. And so as a result, even though the developers know it's a high cost to develop in Mississauga, but you know what? They want to come. They want to be here. And they've developed a beautiful city. We lay down extremely high responsibilities to them. Landscaping second to none. We have the Urban Design Awards that we handed out last night, in which we encourage architects and consulting and landscape architects to do an exceptional job. Because you know what? We have to live with that. We have to live with the development. Two or three weeks ago, I visited the opening, and I'm not going to name it because you'll know where it is, of a building that's going to be built in the city court. And I looked at it and I said, that looks like a box. <laughs> Why don't you do something to decorate at least the top of it? So they're doing it. <laughs> 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 uh, next Friday, I'll be in Pudong outside of Shanghai. And I want you to know, I wish I could take you all to you know, outside of Shanghai. I got visited two years ago and I met with the Council General of Canada. He had a dinner for me at his home. And I said, you know, when I could get back to Canada, I'm going to get together all the architects. And I'm going to bring them over to Pudong to show them what beautiful buildings they've designed in the city court. And I hope that the council general said, Madam Mayor, I'm not a surprise for you. Most of the architects that have designed the buildings in Pudong are from Canada and the United States. <laughs> because the city of Pudong says, you want to build in the city court, you, on one condition, you get a building permit. Your building is different any other building in the city court. So we don't have boxes in Pudong like we have in Mississauga and Toronto. We have beautiful buildings. And so you see, we can learn from other countries, folks. Don't think we have all the answers in this great country of Canada. We can learn from others. I had a vision for the city. First of all, I felt that the city needed a major sports facility in our city of our size. And today we're well on our way to building that major sports facility. The Hershey Center was the beginning, and we're now into the second phase to build another major gymnastics center because we all grow the one we have. A soccer enclosure and center. And the other objective I had was a major arts facility. Because the city without the arts is not a city at all. It just hasn't got a heart. 
And so we have the Living Arts Center. Yes, it costs money. And I'm proud it does cost money. I gotta tell you. Because a city of our size, when I look across Ontario and see Kitchener and Cambridge and some of those smaller municipalities of 40 to 50,000 people that have an arts center, and here was the city of Mississauga with 400 to 500,000 people without an arts center. Isn't that awful? Terrible. Because if we want to be a first class city, we have to have all the amenities. Yes, we concentrated on the community facilities. There's no question about it. And I think that's important. We made sure that there were small theaters in our city, in practically every library. We built a Meadowville theater, a small theater, accommodating foreign people. We did it gradually. We did it when we could afford to do it. And then it came, we had to build a living arts with the help of the provincial and federal government, we've been able to do that. And now we have the Living Arts Center. I only wish, I only wish, and I can tell you folks, that the citizens of Mississauga would support our two major facilities, the Hershey Center and the Living Arts Center. Stop going to downtown Toronto. And remember, we have a downtown a downtown that Bruce McLaughlin, that's in the audience tonight, started with Square One. Right, Bruce? Square One. He started the center, the heart of Mississauga, in a hayfield. Think about it. That's where our city center. But look at it now. And look at what it's going to be in the future. I think when I was elected mayor in 1978, I sat in an old town hall and watched horses and cows feeding across the field. And look what it is now. And I'll tell you, we have great plans. In fact, when I visit China next week, I'll be talking to investors to build a beautiful hotel in our city park, convention center in our city park. Well, what a great city. And you know, what makes a great city? It's the people. The people that makes a great city. You can build buildings, yes. You can build all these amenities, but it's the people. And I'm so proud of the way in which we've been able to develop. You know, the developers don't like a lot of this, I have to tell you. Any developers in the audience? <laughs> but the lot levies is giving us the necessary capital funding to build the infrastructure. And so we can probably, uh, we can probably say we have up-to-date infrastructure in our city. And that is why it's so important. And so we are debt-free. I don't care who parishes in the audience and any other politicians from the federal or provincial government, don't tell them that we got 650 million in reserves. <laughs> Planning for the rainy day. The rainy day. I was taught that as a kid. Make sure you have a little money aside for the rainy day. That's the way we plan the city. Put funds aside for the rainy day because that day will possibly come and so as a result. So today, many municipalities have proceeded with development charges. I want you to know I brought the town of Streetsville into Mississauga debt free. Therefore, I wanted the city to be debt free, even though we weren't debt free in 78. And because of the cooperation, I want to say no one person does it alone. Please. It's the combination and the team approach of the staff of the city and the councils that I've had the privilege to lead over the years that bought into that philosophy, run the city like a business, and make sure that you only do something when you have the money to do it. Other municipalities go to board. You know, it's easy. It's easy to borrow money because you offset the impact on the tax, on the tax bill. It goes down the road. The point is you mortgage the future citizens of the society. We do not believe in mortgaging the citizens, the future citizens of Mississauga. 
And as long as we can get the federal and provincial government to come to the table, which I believe they're coming, I'm telling you, I'm excited about it, with Paul Martin McGinney as the leader in the province one here, they're going to finally come to the table and realize that we can no longer, as municipalities, provide the services that we're called upon to provide on the property tax, that we need to share their many sources of revenue with the municipalities. And I believe a bright day looks down the road for us. So folks, it's, you know, when I think of the city hall, I remember when the, uh, when the Duke of York came to city hall, he spoke about his brother, who is an architect, I believe, who said, when he flew over the city hall, he thought it was the gas works. <laughs> well, I'm proud of the gas works. Because it works. Not much gas in there, but it works. Maybe a little hot air. <laughs> and you know that that city hall has been in every architectural magazine throughout the world, believe it or not. When people ask me what I think of it, I say, it is unique. <laughs> then we have our central library right here, sitting right in it, has the most distribution of library books in Canada. <laughs> our central library. We've always had a very vibrant arts community, but the Living Arts Center was the beginning of providing a facility. To a, for our young people who excel in the arts, to bring the arts groups along that have been, played a major role in our city. And I can assure you, we're looking forward. The Visible Arts have outgrown their little place down on Mississauga Road. And we're going to build a beautiful facility for them right next to our chapel estate on the, credit, on the banks of the Credit River. They're going to have a beautiful facility there. For them to continue the great work that, that they're doing. So, and what is so exciting is the building of the garden on the chapel estate. A natural garden, not a butcher, no west, not a handmade. It's going to be natural. And it's well on its way with the Board of Trade starting to raise the funds to start the first phase. We bought the land a few years ago, paid a lot of money for it. And we knew that it was so important that we preserve that land. And it's going to be a, 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 a jewel in the crown of the city of Islam. And then yesterday I met with the Toronto Star, which is going to do a special edition in the first part of 2004 in Mississauga. You know what the gentleman said to me? He said, you have hidden treasures here that nobody knows about. Isn't that something? I said yes. Because you folks only published Toronto. I know the way. And the mayor of Toronto goes to the bathroom. It's like, <laughs> he said, I can't believe your water truck. Oh, I said, really? Oh, well, he said, all the talk is about the Toronto water truck. Yeah, he said, they got a lot of work to do. We're <laughs> well on our way. We preserve the waterfront for the people of Mississauga. Think of the trail. So, folks, to say it all, we are one of the most diverse cities in Canada. We have every nation around the world represented here, and they know they're welcome in our city. I'm so proud that now we have every major world religion with a facility in Mississauga. And the last was the Hindu temple on Derry Road. Beautiful Hindu temple. Because I really feel strongly that every every part, every individual needs to have their religious facility so that they can be directed to it and inspired by it and brought into the community. So we are represented. We are a diverse community, no question about it. And people are accepted here from all around the world and the contribution that they make, the contribution that they make to our city, to our province, and of course to our country. And they are welcome here and they 
Our Aspen participants. I was at the Lions Club, Central Lions Club, the other evening. And I'll tell you, I was just amazed at the number of nations that are represented as members of the Central Lions Club. So anybody who says that they're not welcome here, folks, leave because you are welcome. People from all over the world. We've been challenged that our council and our staff do not represent certain parts of the world. I can assure you, and I make my position very clear, we hire qualified people at the city of Mississauga. And I don't care what color they are, and I don't care what country they come from. That is our policy, and I want you to know that. Very important. And as regards to the council, I can't control how the people elect the council, and so that's up to the people of Mississauga. As a result, I can assure you, when I hold my multicultural breakfast once every year and sometimes twice a year, I can assure you I'm just delighted with the people that come from all parts. At the city hall, we can speak 28 languages. We have people. If I have anybody come to my office, that I can't understand their language, I can phone up to any department and say, please get me a person who can speak the language with that respect of time. We have our great festival, the Brenton Honey Festival, just a great festival, the Waterfront Festival, and all the other festivals that we have. And this year, we're going to be entertaining next year, the marathon here in Mississauga. It's going to be a great event. And I'm so proud to be involved in the World Health in Kobe, Japan. I leave this Sunday for a meeting in Kobe. Do you realize that when working with the Mississauga campus of the University of Kobe that we're so proud of, think of the fact that we have a major university facility in our city that someday, someday, and it's going to not be too long, it will be called the Mississauga University. <laughs> A model that has been created by the University of Mississauga campus, putting 4,400 graduate students into our city, looking at, at every service we provide, and determining and recommending how we can incorporate in everything we do at the city health prevention. Because health prevention is going to save our health plan in Canada, and it's going to save other parts of the world. The Mississauga model has now been published under the direction of Dr. Kalugoji, the head of the World Health. And it will go to every city around the world as the Mississauga model. I'm so proud of it. It's going to put Mississauga on the map amongst the world's cities in which what we've been able to do with the university. Because so often, the academia world does not work with the decision makers. We make decisions without the benefit of all the research that has been done by the academics. And today in Mississauga, we're doing the academic research with the decision makers at City Hall so that we can do a better job in making decisions on behalf of our people, Mississauga people, in regards to the environment, in regards to health. Well, Mississauga is on a great city. We have a great future. We want to become independent, and we will. I hope that this government, the new government of the province of Ontario, will recognize that we are a city that, need, that requires independence. So that we can do the many things that we have to do. And heritage is so important of our future. We've tried hard. The Heritage Act of the province of Ontario has no teeth in it. No teeth in it. We have to cajole people into preserving the heritage. That is unacceptable. And I hope, Madam Chairman, that with this new government, that we can convince them to put some teeth into the heritage act of the province. So that we can make <laughs> 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 
citizens, speak up, stand up and be counted on. And tell your MPP that we need that teeth and the heritage act. So you don't run around costing a lot of ill feelings, a lot of unnecessary work, and then at the end, they can apply for a demolition permit, right? Isn't that awful? We go through the process, we put the owner of the property through the process, we spend the money on your behalf, and then at the end, we have to issue a demolition permit. Other than those that take a bulldozer, bulldozer bulldoze down. We have tree preservation in our city. And, uh, you know, somebody asked me during the election, when are you going to ban pesticides from private property? Ladies and gentlemen, does government have to tell you to eliminate pesticides from your private property? Why is it? Aren't you concerned about the environment? I don't use pesticides on my property. And do we have to legislate it? And if we legislate it, it means we have to enforce it. That's a high cost. Because every complaint you get that somebody next door is using pesticides, we have to go and investigate. You know, it's time that the people took control of their municipality and their community and did the things that have to be done, like we've done with crime. I believe the people of Mississauga have tried their very best to take control. In regard to litter, they got to take control. In regard to pesticides, the people have to take control. Why is it that we need to legislate what's good for the people? Why is it? I don't know. It should be voluntary on the part of the people instead of asking us to buy a pass a bylaw. And then we have to enforce it. And we don't have the staff to enforce the bylaws. Folks, we have a great community. We have a great future. And I have to say to you that let's not just think of our own community. I got to tell you, having been to Tanzania just six weeks ago, we can't sit in our comfortable queue in this great country of Canada and not be concerned about the rest of the world. When you think that 7 million people in Africa die a year from AIDS, when we think of the people that are suffering and starving to death, the kids across the world, even though we're very comfortable here, we've got to be participative. We have to participate in trying to eliminate poverty throughout the world. We are so lucky. This city is just a wonderful city where I know people just enjoy living here. But folks, we have to think about other parts of the world. Because quite honestly, with my involvement with the World Health, I'm quite convinced that if we want world peace, we've got to do something about the conditions of people in other parts of the world. Otherwise, we will never have world peace. <laughs> Mrs. Saugat is leading the way in so many ways. We were the first to designate the first heritage village in the province of Ontario, Medivale, that we've tried to preserve. We own 24 various heritage-related properties, and it costs money, folks, to maintain those properties. But you know the money. The street house property we own is the Timothy Street House, which dates back to 1825. We have the Bradley Museum. We have the Benares. You know, we could have people coming from all over the world to see that. We, we now have a tourist department in our city. Heritage is important to the city of Asaga, as it is to all communities, important to the province, important to this great country of Canada. And so tonight I ask you and ask you to support the efforts of our Heritage Foundation and our Heritage Committee. Volunteers who work so faithfully on behalf of all of us to protect us. No matter how we build to be a great city, I can only say to you, if we don't preserve our heritage, then we've lost something so valuable, it just can't be replaced. No matter what beautiful buildings we build, etc. 
heritage is so important. So tonight I want to say to you, I'm honored to be asked to be the first speaker in this great program that the committee has undertaken. Folks, if we all work as a team, if we become involved, if we get the vision, the vision of what this city can be, preserving its heritage, building a great city, providing the services for all our people from the cradle to the grave. And I'll tell you, we can all be very proud. Because you know what? We only pass this way once. Next time I come back, I'm coming back as a lawyer. <laughs> We only pass this way once. And we ought to make a mark on our community and, and make our contribution, no matter how small, really, doesn't matter. And whether it's noted or not, but in your own mind, that you've made a contribution. Or else you pass on, and even your neighbors or your relatives don't even know you exist. <laughs> Folks, let's all make a mark on our community. By working together for the good of, yes, our community, for the good of one another. Because I believe that Mississauga is a caring community. I really believe it. I sense it as I go around the city. And with us all caring about our community, about one another, I'll tell you, we'll not only be the most crime-free city in Calvary, we'll not only be the best landed city in Calvary, we'll not only be the most debt-free city in Calvary, we will be the city that everybody will look at and say, my, could we only attain that accomplishment. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the inspiring words of our former mayor, Hazel McCallion. She may no longer be with us, but the imprint she left on this city is still visible today. From the myriad of place names in her honor to the work she oversaw turning our city into such a great place to live, we thank you, Hazel and Callian. And to you, dear listeners, I hope you will join us again next week on Saga 50 for 50. We hope you enjoyed this week's installment of Saga 50 for 50. Help us keep celebrating the 50th anniversary of the city of Mississauga by following Heritage Bites wherever you get your podcasts. Also, be sure to check out Heritage Mississauga on all our social media platforms and follow hashtag Saga 50 for 50 to stay up to date on all of Mississauga's 50th anniversary celebrations. This is Heritage Mississauga signing off. Until next time.